I started something I couldn't finish from the album Strange Ways. Here we come from the power pop combo, The Smiths. I'm David Eastall and this is The C86 Show. Welcome once again to another Slice of Life, as I'll be bringing you songs you know, some you don't, and some you should. As always, I'll be crossing time, space and genre with the finest in indie pop from the golden decade. Each week we like a special guest, and this week we have, all the way from Scotland, Claire Grogan from Altered Images, and also Gregory's Girl. So I've got that interview that I'll scatter throughout the show, alongside the usual award-worthy playlist. But to get the party started, I think we should play... One of their early classics. No, not that one. This one instead. Don't talk to me about love.
with a track called Someone Somewhere in Summertime that came from their 1982 album New Gold Dream and I was just looking at some of the reviews, the critical reviews of it and I noticed that the NME journalist Paul Morley wrote My loyalty towards Simple Minds is known to be considerable yet even I am jarred by the constant beauty of this music New Gold Dream robs me of my breath. Indeed, we were very poetic in those days. And before that, we had our special guest. That was Altered Images with a track called 
Oh yes, that was it. <laughs> Don't talk to me about love. And that came from their 1983 album called Bite. That was produced by the one and only uh, Mike Chapman, who, um, yes, Mike Chapman, who also did loads of work during the 80s with people like Blondie and also Susie Quattro, etc., etc. And I do believe even Tony Fisconti was on that album. Anyway, this is David Esau. This is the C86 show, bringing you the finest in indie pop. And this week's special guest is Claire Grogan, because I caught up with her very recently to find out more about Love, Life and Poetry and all that kind of groovy stuff. So I'll be bringing that interview a bit later on. But to keep the show on the road, I did notice that it's, um, Altered Images did several John Peel sessions, one in 1980 and one in 81. And it featured, their first one featured the track called Dead Pop Stars. And I thought we should play that right now, right here. <laughs> Yeah. 
there you go, Poptastic Sounds, that was Susie and the Banshees and the track called Happy House. And before that, we had Altered Images with a very uh, slightly, a sound that we didn't use to, well, we probably don't know much of, which was one of their first singles called Dead Pop Stars, which was, um, yes, you can definitely see why John Peel picked it up. And it was a bit unfortunate because it was timed to, to be, uh, well, it was released just after John Lennon had been shot, though it had been recorded before he'd been shot, so they had no idea. But um, obviously... Yes, that went down like a lead balloon at the time. Anyway, that also featured on their first John Peel session that came out in 1980. And um, I was just thinking about when people do marketing things and it's just unfortunate time. And, and I do believe um, Elvis Costello once, when he was on Stiff Records um, and they were just promoting him, said Elvis is a stiff. And I think about a week or two later, Elvis Presley died. And I think they sort of decided that was also bad taste. So there you go. You just never know, do you? Anyway, this is David Eastall. This C86 show. I'm going to play you one more track by Altered Images and then we're going to play our first part of the interview that I had with Claire Grogan very uh, recently. This is a track which I think you will know. This is the one called I Could Be Happy.
and that was I Could Be Happy, and that came from their second album, which was called Pinky Blue from 19, I think, 82. Um, and also, for those who are interested in the work of Altered Images, um, earlier this year there was a box collection that had um, just been put out, four CDs featuring 60 tracks from the band's first four albums that came out on Cherry Red Records, with lots of exciting information, nice booklet, and everything else that you'd want in a box set. And this um, originally was on the Epic um, record label, but obviously Cherry Red Records now own it and have put it together. So worth checking out if you're interested in the work of Claire Grogan and Altered Images. But anyway, I'm going to play the first part of the interview that I had with Claire earlier in the week. This is uh, when we talk about the importance of the John Peel show and the legendary DJ. Oh yeah, that was just an absolute magic thing really for us because... We were such music fans, and we absolutely loved John Peel. And, you know, I, I say this quite a lot when people talk to me about it. It's it's like almost when we started, you know, the band, and, you know, we'd get together for rehearsals in Kermonic Town Hall twice a week. One of our big aims, one of the big goals, was to find a way to get John Peel to hear us. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, our ambition went as far as that. You know, our, obviously our ambition grew as things worked out for us. But when we first started out, you know, the big thing would be, wouldn't it be amazing to get a John Peel session? Yes. <laughs> Which, you know, we, we pulled off relatively quickly. Yeah. And obviously at that time, there were, you know, because it's interesting, a couple of weeks ago I sort of did an interview with Les from the Bay City Rollers, who was a huge huge part of my teenage years being that sort of age which made me sort of um, enjoy Top of the Pops and, and those kind of hits and then obviously they, there was that period because um, you had the skids and then Simple Minds happening as well so there was quite a sort of an exciting Scottish music scene happening at that around when you were there but you were there kind of quite early on because there's a lot of bands like Strawberry Switchblade, and then you had the indie bands like the Orchids and Jasmine Minks were sort of following in your, and, and Goodbye Mr Mackenzie, were sort of following in your sort of slipstream, really, weren't they? Well, I think because when I was, um, you know, when we started the band, or the boys, it was the boys that started the band, I just gatecrashed it. Um, they, um, you know, and on one level, an awful lot of people we knew and we hung out with had their own bands, you know, um, you know, people like the Bluebells, they kind of started in other bands, like called Rod, a band called Rod Deal, and it progressed into the Bluebells, and then there was the Berlin Blondes. I mean, we were sort of surrounded by people that were, I guess, because we were all music fans, we were all sort of into the idea of taking our love of music to the next stage, which was forming bands. So we were kind of surrounded by it. We really were at the time. And, but, you know, I mean, I always flag up the Simple Minds who gave us some of our first early best opportunities in terms of getting to support bands that we loved so they were um, they were always very kind to us. <laughs> yes well it was interesting because they started as a very kind of you know alternative indie band you know and again John Peel I think had them on this show and had them in session and then they were able to make that great leap of it I suppose like you too 
in in sort of you know hitting the mainstream charts and and being one of those fickle fans you know i was i was probably one of those irritating people who just liked bands on indie labels and then we go oh my god they're sold out they've sold more than 100 <laughs> copies and they signed for a major i remember when sonic youth signed for a major record label that was it was kind of major news wasn't it and um so yes us fickle fans are always kind of a bit obsessed with those early the early years but but obviously the the one thing that i've noticed with with talking to a lot of people from bands of that period there was either people either grew grew up listening to either like the birds and and sort of and i suppose the stooges or there was the captain beefheart people and velvet underground so what were the musical influences that that um, you were sort of driven by well always roxy music david bowie I had two uh, older sisters who were really into that. So in our house, that's what we were listening to. Also, I mean, my mum and my dad were music fans as well. So, I mean, I, I grew up in a household where, you know, music was always on. And, you know, it was everything from the Rolling Stones, the Shangri-Las. I mean, it was it was Herb Albert. You know, it was quite eclectic. But, um, yeah, just... I mean, when I think about it, they're all relatively quite pop-orientated, you know. Um, I even think, I do think of David Bowie as being quite pop-orientated and Roxy music, you know. I mean, Pajama Rama, their first single, is like one of the catchiest songs ever. But, um, yeah, um, I, that's, that's, that's the kind of where all the influence started. And then as, as time went by, I just got more and more interested in the idea of girls getting to be on top of the pops, basically. Yes. Well, <laughs> so I just you, felt like there wasn't enough of it. Well, it was interesting because you did have some amazing role models in that way that, you know, I remember when we first saw Susan the Banshees and she was like, my God, she's so cool. And everything she's doing is just like, it's so different to how most people perform on stage. And, and it was all kind of attitude, wasn't it? Yeah, I was really, really excited about Susie Sue and polystyrene as well. I always mention it, the slits, the modettes. I just, I love those girls. I always call them the girls that dare to be different because to me they were really, they really were pushing the boundaries. And I knew that my mum and dad would never let me go out of the house dressed like that or anything like that, but... I really, really admired them. Indeed, there was a lot to admire. And that was the first part of my interview with Claire Grogan. This is David Eastall. This is the C86 Show. If you want to contact me, we always love your messages. You can you can via email, no, not email, Facebook or Twitter. Just go to at C86 Show and I will be there. But we've still got a lot more to pack into the show before the hour is up. And this is um, another track um, which they recorded on a John Peel session the following year, March in 19. 19- 81. This is a track called A Day's Wait.
a day's wait, and that came from their debut album called um, Happy Birthday. Yes, that classic, classic album from Altered Images. And like I said, and hopefully you were paying attention, Altered Images have just had a fantastic uh, box set of their early albums put together in a full CD package, which features 60 tracks and a nice booklet as well that's come out on the Cherry Red Records. And this was their epic years when they were on the major label. Anyway, I was always impressed how many sessions John Peel did with them and also, or how they, how they did with him, and also with uh, Kid Jensen, I do believe. And they were very prolific in their early years. And um, yes, most people sort of rock up and then fade away, but not altered images, they kept going. But this is the second part of my um, interview with Claire, where we talk about, I know this is a bit predictable now, um, her role a starring moment in that iconic film of the early 80s, Gregory's Girl. I mean, it, it, it certainly turned out to be, but I mean, at the time, um, you know, in a, a in a really bizarre way, I was just kind of going along in life and things that I wanted to do just kept on working out really well for me. <laughs> so, but it was, I suppose, only with hindsight and afterwards I really looked back and I mean, I always call it my double whammy because the year I got signed to CBS Epic Records was the year that Gregory's Girl got released and, you know, that was such a, an extraordinary thing to happen to a 17-year-old to a certain extent, 18-year-old, and but I kind of, it's not that I took it in my stride, but because I had absolutely no life experience at all, in a way, I just I did just go along with it all. You yes. know, I didn't I didn't have any clue what my life was going to be. So the fact that the things that I loved doing were working for me was like great. Well, it's obviously meant to be then. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only a few years later when it starts get, getting wobbly that you realise there's a lot of hard work involved in retaining your position and retaining your desire to do it because you know. Like any success, with success, there is always a little bit of failure as well. Yes. Well, that's on, that's the one thing that I've also noticed, which I never sort of appreciated before. And I've almost got it down to the month that, that most bands have a five-year life cycle, you know, the narrative of getting together, creating a sound that's like, oh, this is better than just playing at the local party or disco or youth club. And then getting the John Peel, you know, play, you know, on the single, doing a John Peel session, doing the album, things are going well. Do a tour, that's kind of interesting. If any band ever does America, they seem to come back completely... Um, sort of mad really or, or just like I'm never doing that again and the second album and then by then the, the, that sort of almost four or five year narrative and there's a big kind of disaster waiting so did how was how was your sort of period of, of sort of life in the band? Well I mean I like you I, I pretty much you know I've thought about a lot of bands and who you know I think that if you can get past that four or five year mark then you could being for the long haul, but very few of us manage it. And I think part of it is, you know, when you start out, you have no real idea. Just, I am, I don't know how to describe it really, but I mean, there is a huge amount of naivety in our part and inexperience and just growing up. And a lot of bands, you know, you, you start out, you are really young and then you have to live in each other's pockets for a very, very intense period of time in your life. And I think there's a point where you just, you know, you're, you're just discovering your own identity. 
you're experimenting. And I think you inevitably go in different directions. You know, I think it's actually very natural that that happens in many ways. And, you know, I always say to people, Altered Images was absolutely great fun yes. until it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, that's the only way I can describe it. There was just suddenly a point where you hit a brick wall with, you know, living your life through others all the time. And, you know, I don't think, I think we all felt that. I think that wasn't a unique feeling to me. You know, um, you know, we had such a laugh and, you know, what could be more exciting than being in a band with people you like and traveling the world? And, you know, that's what we did. Yes. <laughs> and it was for the most brilliant. And then it just, the pressure of it just, you know, it certainly got to me because in many ways, I never expected to become the focus of the kind of attention that I ended up getting, I suppose, and that really got to me after a while. As Lou Reed once said, growing up in public. It's a tricky one and um, probably one that one's never prepared for. But anyway, that was the second part of my interview with Claire Krogan as she talked about life with Gregory Gull and also the success of Altered Images. Anyway, this is David Eastall. This is the C86 show. And I did do um, lots more research there in that in the space of the last five minutes and noticed that actually they did three John Peel sessions and a Kid Jensen session and Richard Skinner. So... And that was all in a sort of two to three years, which um, does mean that they probably ate, slept and um, dreamed about altered images. But anyway, I'm going to play you one more track and then the third and final part of the interview. This is um, Pinky Blue that they recorded in the uh, September 1981 John Peel session. And uh, that was also, I do believe, the title track of their second album.
I know, we're basically hyperventilating with excitement. I'm already thinking of having a puff of my Ventolin. And that was another, that was some altered images from their second album and the title track, which was called Pingy Blue. And as I said, that was also a track that they recorded for their third John Peel session. He was that much of a fan, I'm sure you already know that. Anyway, this is David Eastall, this is the C86 show, and this is the third part of my interview with Claire, where we talk about the pressure of the music I mean, and I, I think that some people are thicker-skinned than others. I think that some people are just absolutely born to do it. Um, I think for me, I probably just needed a really good holiday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but the thing is, I, you know, I, I stepped back, and when I did step back from it, I did realise that I really performing was the only thing I could ever imagine myself doing. And, you know, it was up to me to make that work. And I think for the most, I've been very successful at making it work in my own terms and on a level. But I certainly think that you can really underestimate what it takes to... To, to keep, you know, as I say, uh, we've worked out that next year's 40 years of performing for me, um, literally without a, a, a significant break. I've just gone on from singing, acting, presenting, writing, just keep going. And for me, part of it is necessity, because like everyone else, I've got bills to pay. Yes. So that's how I've always earned my living. So, you know, that's a big incentive sometimes. And... Also, just my absolute desire to do it has ne- my desire to do it has never faltered. The circumstances in which I am doing it in has changed a lot over the years. I think you have to reclaim yourself a bit, particularly when you're a young woman in this business. I think that it's very easy to get pulled in different directions that don't necessarily suit you, but you're not armed enough in life to to fight it, you know. So I think, you know, without wanting to sound too, I don't know, up myself, I think that in the end I've I've managed to kind of handle it better than some. (laughs) So let's see. (laughs) Well, no, absolutely. I mean, it is... um... I didn't fall off a cliff edge. (laughs) No, you didn't end up sort of, you know, homeless homeless with a few, you know, plastic bags. Because what would you say to your... 18-year-old self, if you'd sort of bumped into them backstage, you know, what sort of sagely advice could you just kind of whisper to somebody that you've learned? Uh, well, I have been asked that question before and I've had come up with some elaborate answers but I can't remember, really remember. I mean, I think that... Um, I, I just I just think, you know, it sounds a bit corny and a bit cliche, but... What I'd say to my 18-year-old self is, well done you. (laughs) You know? I mean, I think that sometimes you don't give yourself the credit in life that you sort of deserve. deserve. I think that you kind of, you can get a little bit overwhelmed with all the attention and the sort of, you know, oh, we think you're great, that sort of side of it. And you you start questioning, questioning yourself, you start thinking, I really don't deserve this. And I think that, you know, remaining true to yourself as an 18-year-old is a really difficult thing to do because you don't even really know who you are at 18. So I think the biggest thing is just cut yourself some slack, you know. And, 
you know, when you're experimenting in public as a teenager, you're bound to get it wrong now and again, but it's not the end of the world. It's just something to learn from. I didn't realise this Spandau Ballet song, True. Is, is this, is this, are you the inspiration for the song? Well, it's not my song, so you'd have to ask Gary that question. Right. I just, but I did, I did read it somewhere that Claire Grogan is the inspiration for the song True by Spandau Ballet, and I was thinking, oh, I had no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so that's... Well, we were friends, so that's all I can say, but I cannot possibly comment on it because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but you've heard that as well? Yes, yeah. Okay. Quite a few times. <laughs> sorry, sorry. There you go, me delving into the little murky world that is... The story behind True. Anyway, that's um, Claire Grogan, and a big thank you for giving me the time for that interview. It was um, much appreciated. And this is David Eastall, and this is, well, I've got probably time for two more tracks, and then it will have to be a sad goodbye. But I will play you another track, then say goodbye, because let's face it, it'll be nice to end with a big wave or something like that. Anyway, this is a track from, again, their second album, Pinky Blue. This is See Those Eyes.
that was the track See Those Eyes and that was the second um, second song on side one if you're on vinyl or cassette from Altered Images and like I said they've just got a new four CD box set that's come out which features their early albums and 12 inch singles etc etc worth tracking down on the Cherry Red record label um, and that's the end of the show a big thank you again for Claire Grogan for giving me the time for that interview this has been David Esau this has been the C86 show and this is Happy Birthday Thank you.